صوت الألفيات Voice of the Millennials With Yasin Kipi Igniting the Youth Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the show. Now, one of the main issues that we find out there is relationship issues and how do we deal with that premarital and postmarital, the journey to getting married and the journey within marriage itself. And oftentimes we conflate the means to achieve that with our own whims and fancies. How do we fully understand that which will benefit us, not merely temporarily, but also permanently? What do we need in someone? These are the issues that are spoken about by someone by the name Yasguru. And her name is Yasmin Alhadi. And she joins me now from the States. Yes, Assalamu alaikum, Yasmin. Alaikum assalam. It's an honor to be on the show. Thank you for giving us the chance to talk about a really important topic. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most important topics because it lies within that which makes us human beings because I mean if you look at the Arabic root of human being in San it comes from the word uns which is intimacy and, and if we can start with that what is love itself and why do people often get it wrong yeah I mean just to kind of play off of what you said um, of that the insan comes from the word uns the qalb or the heart also comes from qalaba this jidr just a root yeah. a three letter root means to continuously change so the, the the most important thing I want to explain is that, you know, love and the idea of what your heart is connected to is constantly changing. So we have to understand what is the constant, you know, what is the thing that binds people together even when their love changes or shifts forms. And I believe that that is God and the idea of a, a higher spiritual being. So if we're, if our heart is connected to things that are changing because in its very nature it's supposed to change, then we are not connected to something solid. So I will posit that the foundation of our love should be the unchangeable, the eternal, and that is God. When it comes to the initial understanding of what love is, I'm yeah. going to go through a timeline of the human being. Basically, the teenager, when he gets his first crush, you know, he falls head over yeah. heels for the, the girl, and, but he, he does something yeah. crazy. Now, what do oh. we define that type of expression as? Sometimes people call it puppy love, but what is it really? That, that really is a joining of a hormonal uh, surge that happens naturally with, within the life cycle of the human being, in addition to the novelty uh, of those feelings as your heart starts expanding, as you expand in maturity, uh, both in sexual maturity as well as in um, mental capacity. Um, and it's attachment, right? We feel and we seek human attachment. That's something that's part of our species. Um, and so, you know, when you're falling head over heels for someone, oftentimes there are literally um, chemicals that are being released due to the hormonal uh, world that is, you know, surging at that time in your life, usually around between the ages of, uh, you know, we'll say 12 and 18 for a lot of people, um, kind of what we would call today adolescence or teenagedom. But um, in in the pre-modern era was a time of, you know, full maturity. So, you know, I think that what we need to talk about is when you're feeling those feelings, um, are they real? Are they fleeting? Um, and what are they based on? 
We're speaking to Yasmin Al-Hadi and Nasri, also known as Yaskiru. Now, staying with the adolescence stage, you know, just one more question with regards to that. Uh, many a times we find that attachment as a youngster, as a 12 to 14 year old or maybe 15 year old, we find that attachment with someone else, maybe at school or some party that we went yeah. to, because our family or members of our family do not give us that necessary attachment that is needed. And many a times people don't end up in relationships at in the early teens because they do have that fulfillment at home. What do you say about that? I think that um, in general, you know, if you have uh, hopefully a loving, functional family that, um, you know, teaches you self-love and self-care first and foremost, then you do attach more often to the right kinds of people. And sometimes that includes, you know, non-romantic relationships where you sort of receive your validation and love from other people. But, I mean, there is a, uh, you know, just like a hormonal, biological, physiological reality to those feelings at that time. But I think the key is to keep our eye on the prize, which is in Islam we're taught about short-term and long-term visions. And we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we believe that God has for us a long-term vision a long-term idea of human success and human happiness. And we should not be looking for the ephemeral, you know, the fleeting, but we should be looking for the everlasting. And our heart really wants to attach to that. So, you know, when you have, you mentioned the word puppy love, you know, but when you have, you know, that young, sort of hot and heavy feeling for somebody and you just want to be around them and you want to just, you know, be really, really close to them and you want to share intimacy with them, the question there is, you know, it, is that going to be something that's lasting? And what does God want for the human being, right? So we have our own whims and desires. And the question is, what does God want for the human being? And I do believe that um, when love is based on something more than just maybe that hormonal moment, um, and we're thinking about the long-term vision, then we see it kind of in a marriage context, one where there is commitment, one where there is um, life after just simple intimacy. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we really have to drill down and, and think about because young people have very strong desires and they have um, very strong physiological wants and needs. And the question is, what happens when that nest, when that, that internal drive and that internal woman, that internal desire is placed under control? And then what are the long-term gains for that? And so, you know, the hope is with Tia's guru that people are thinking about the long-term game and not just the short-term um, you know, when that you have sort of the, that, that relaxation maybe of those desires and thinking, okay, what is a long-term game here? What will actually give me a, uh, a blessing in my life, a blessing-filled life? And how does God know me better than I know myself? Now, talking about Yasker itself, the uh, cover page on the website says, stop asking the wrong questions about love and start asking the right ones. The, the keys yeah. to successful, lasting relationships are in secret. Yeah. Learn what works and yeah. doesn't work in a healthy, loving relationship from a successful matchmaker with over a decade of experience. And your about page on Facebook says that this is an innovative program program for discovering yeah. yourself and assisting relationship success. Now, t now talking about turning that you know, that desire when you are, you know, now in your later teen, year, teen years or maybe entering into 20s. And we, we, we obviously, we agree as well that love can take it in and it can, it can happen at any age, whether you're 17 or 70. Yeah. Um, but yeah. moving that into the marriage zone, is there an ideal partner? Is there an ideal, you know, uh, framework through which you can understand who the ideal per person is for you? Yeah. 
Yes. And so, you know, we believe that the ideal human being is the Prophet Muhammad, Muslims. Um, and whether, you know, you're a Muslim or just somebody of, of faith, um, you believe that there were people that were sent to us as examples. So that be, you know, the, you know, Buddha uh, for, for Buddhists or whether that be Jesus uh, for our, our Christian brothers and sisters. Um, the point is that we do have ideals of kind of what humans should be. And as Muslims, we believe that the Prophet Muhammad gives us kind of an ideal example of what a human being should be. Now, you know, we have to sort of also understand things in the pre-modern era and the modern era. And we have to see what the Prophet did, right? We have to look at someone's actions in addition to their words. Um, and what we see here uh, in terms of an ideal person that you should be looking for, we know that we, number one, should be looking for someone who's kind and respectful. That's so, so, so important. And we know that the Prophet the Prophet was sent to perfect good character, right? And that he was a mercy, right? So to, to all the world. So, so we're talking about someone who's ideal. We know that someone has to be kind. We know that someone has to be full of good character. And we also know that that person has to be merciful. So in that light, we we're, looking, we're looking for someone who's compassionate and forgiving. And those are some of the ideal, I would say, uh, pieces of finding the right kind of match. But we also know that there are other things, right? There's attraction that's very important, right? The Prophet Muhammad said, I never shied away from the fact that, you know, if someone is not attracted to somebody else, they shouldn't be in a marriage relationship with them, right? Whether it be a male or a female, we have hadith to support uh, this, this proposition. We also know that family is a big part of why people match. Also, you know, wealth and um, status, that those are all things that people are, you know, are usually looking for in marriage. But we know also from Hadith that the most important thing to look for is good faith. That if someone has good deeds, they have good faith, that should be what we should really be looking for in someone, that they really have an understanding of God consciousness, that they have an understanding of accountability, and that they have an understanding of giving, of being a generous soul and a generous spirit. So those are the things I think that we should be looking for in an ideal match and uh, an ideal partner. You mentioned in the yes. third episode of Yaskuru, and I'd obviously recommend Yaskuru. Yes. It's an amazing, very short, concise video that's perfectly striking yes. the main issue at hand. You mentioned that when when you when you find your partner or your, your spouse one day, they just they, they, they lose control of the emotions at one point because of something yes. that you, you know, pointed out in them which you call a core value. Now if we work yes. back the I know that the hadith that the Prophet mentioned and he you know advised and told the the, 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 the male sahaba that women yes. are married for these four things. But there's another hadith that he mentions to women yes. that men are married Married for mainly two reasons. Besides the deen, he's also, you know, married for akhlaq, for character. And there's a distinction yeah. between religion and character. Now, how do you identify your own core values and how do you identify sure. the person you should be with in order to get married to the correct person? Absolutely. So that's a great question. Core values are what drive us. They are our moral and ethnic code. They are how we um, reason through a problem. They are um, really the lens by which we have a worldview. And so your core values are what I, I think are very big parts of what your character is about. It's not necessarily the same thing because um, a core value is not necessarily something that, uh, you know, for example, um, if someone in their character is, you know, um, 
they're giving, they're very generous, right? That can be obviously uh, a core value, that generosity is a core value of theirs, but it's not necessarily the same thing, right? So if somebody's, for example, very good to their parents, that might not be something that really drives them, but it's a part of a larger umbrella of, um, of good character, right? So when we're thinking about finding the right kind of person that does not offend our core values, but actually enhances all of the important things that we share in life, we think about compatibility. So when someone is offending, uh, for example, the core value of justice, maybe somebody has the core value of really just always seeing an injustice and righting that wrong and really wanting there to be justice in the world. Well, you can't be with somebody else who does not have that overlapping core value. If you, you know, are with someone, for example, that the, their most important incentive in life is wealth accumulation. Let's just say that money is a huge drive for them and that, that wealth accumulation, maybe they want to do good things with it, but that is the most important thing. And that maybe, maybe in their drive for wanting to seek more and more wealth, justice sort of takes a back seat, right? That there may be some kind of injustice that is propagated, for example, um, if they have a big factory, for example, and maybe the environment is not taken care of uh, properly or there's not a just um, resolution to environmental regulation or environmental care when they're building their factory to make whatever product. Those two people are not compatible fundamentally because they have different core values. Is that a part of character? Yes. The same thing? No, not necessarily. And I think that, you know, the most important thing is that we find someone that has aligning values with us, not necessarily the same interests. Who cares if you listen to the same music? That's not what's important. That's what I want to tell to the young people. You know, like, it doesn't matter that you both like this car, that you both like to horse ride, or that you both um, love to go to the same concert. All of that just washes away. What really matters is what drives you. For some people, it's truth. They seek truth. Right? In everything that they do. A good example is our Sahaba Salman al Sadisi, That Sahabi, you know, who would r- rise to great ranks uh, among, uh, amongst the, the, the companions of the Prophet Muhammad, his core value is truth. So that is going to take the front seat to all other values. He can't be with someone, for example, who maybe is, you know, concerned with the niceties of life and, like, won't sacrifice certain things for truth, right? He needed to find. Uh, probably somebody, you know, that would be compatible in his life or someone like him, right, would be someone else who also shares that core value of truth. So what role does these, you know, I know what you call it, subsidiary values have? Like, for example, what role does Yuma yeah. have? Yuma, you know, a humanist person, you often identify um, uh, like a spouse because yeah. they, they, they find you funny. Yes. And, and, you know, humor humor is okay. And humor is usually part of your temperament. Kind of part of your personality. Yeah. You know, there's a really wonderful um, temperament and personality things out there. There's the Enneagram, which, um, you know, approaches the idea of the four humors, Galen's four humors from uh, Greek as well as Roman, um, uh, you know, study that uh, certain people fall within certain temperaments. And so there's, there's that. There's the personality test that you can take, uh, Myers-Briggs, for example, as well as others, that help us understand what those like you said, you know, secondary or tertiary or subsidiary values are all about what, who we're actually um, more inclined to get along with and who we're not. And the nice thing about, you know, living a little bit, right, this is to the young people, the nice thing about living past your teenage years to um, find someone to really partner with uh, for an extended period of time, hopefully for the rest of your life, is that you get to know yourself a little bit better. So you get to know, oh, wow, like, I actually get along with people like that, and I don't get along with people like this, right? And I always tell people, you know, you search for your core values by really assessing who you're drawn to in life and who you keep around for the longest time. So 
I will say that for, you know, teenagers especially who have really intense, you know, desires and, and wants to be with somebody, if you just let those take the back seat a little bit and you instead kind of keep your eye on the prize, which is long-term happiness, long-term baraka or blessing from God, then you'll, you'll need that life experience, just a little bit of life experience. I'm not, you know, giving a number out there. But you need a little bit of time to assess who you get along with and who you don't, right, and to know yourself better and to understand your personality and to understand practically, you know, who is it that you really, like, don't get annoyed by and who is it that uh, you find interesting and you want to ask their opinion about something? Uh, who is it that you respect? How do you define respect? Um, who is it that you really admire and that you think, oh, wow, like, they're doing something interesting. I want to learn and expand in that way. Everything I do in terms of matching people has been based on complementarity. Everything is about a complementary principle. So I don't think that two people who are exactly alike are the most fantastic together. I think that they can make a, a good marriage, but I don't think that they make the best marriages. I don't think that they make the best coupling, the best partners for each other, because I do believe that when you're with someone who complements you, um, who is different, the things that they're good at and maybe who is different at the things that they're bad at, then you expand and grow because you, you're learning about them. And I do think that, you know, the more you invest in understanding yourself, the better it's going to come out for you in matching with the right kind of partner. You can find Yasmin Al Hadi Nasri on yasguru yasguru.com. Now we're speaking to Yasmin about love itself, and now we just want to talk about a little bit about um, Yasguru itself. You know, why did yeah. you start this um, the project? And I know it's a consultancy agency, but yeah. the striking videos that you've you've already posted is amazing. Can you tell me why the why the videos and uh, why the project itself? Sure. So I've been matching people for um, a decade now. So I've been helping people get married. I've helped over 25 uh, marriages, thank God, um, get off the ground, which is a thing in itself. But, you know, I do believe that we're a means to what is really what is really God's work. But in this process, I've learned, wow, people have really um, odd notions about what marriage really entails. I mean, it's often flooded by um, what society tells them that they should deserve or, you know, television or, um, you know, wanting to not be their parents, stuff like that, um, are telling them about what love is. And I think instead we should really be thinking about, okay, what are some successful relationships we should be role modeling? So when I started the Yaz Guru project, it was an attempt to kind of move away from the matching model that I had been doing and really about kind of self-training, self-actualization, helping people learn how to match themselves. And so the videos are really about trying to do something that's kind of interesting and fun and give people at the same time the spinach of love, right? Spinach meaning sometimes vegetables that we don't want to eat, uh, things yeah. that, questions that we should be asking ourselves that we don't necessarily want to ask, like, how do we change the person? Oh, wait a second. I see and relate to myself. Like, I do maybe give... Uh, in a one-sided relationship when I have a lot of resentment for that. Or wait a second, maybe I do get triggered because my core values don't align with the person that I'm with and I'm continuously ending up in conflict. Or wait, um, there's some small issues that I really don't talk to my spouse about and I really probably should so they don't end up in larger issues um, later on. Or, you know, my, uh, my, my metric for trying to find the right person is all wrong because it's all based on things that someone can't control. So the hope is that the videos are kind of a funny way to get people to ask some deep, important questions of, them, of themselves and really be looking for people who are going to be good in character and good for the long term. I do believe that, you know, when the Prophet Muhammad said, that, you know, if a person comes to you and they have good genes and they have good character, 
you know, and you turn them down, right? You don't want to marry them. This could spread corruption in the land and could create a crisis that I think we are actually seeing today. I think when you have a barrier to the um, marriage market that's very, very high, then you have a lot of problems. And when you lower the barrier into the marriage market, when marriage becomes more something that really people learn about, that they're fluid about, that they respect, you know, okay, maybe someone got divorced, that's okay. Maybe someone has children from another marriage, that's okay too. And instead there's not these taboo sort of uh, topics when it comes to maybe divorce or to changing your partner. Um, I think that when we do that as a community, that we do maybe hopefully become more successful in long-lasting, healthy relationships where people aren't, you know, asking for crazy, for example, uh, mahars, you know, um, the mu'akhar and the muqaddam of the mahar, for example, um, which are, you know, the bride gift, that people are asking for these crazy astronomical numbers just in case of a divorce, really like an alimony payment, to ensure that someone doesn't get divorced. No. Putting a price tag on divorce does not ensure that someone doesn't get the divorce. That just creates resentment. And, uh, you know, I think that we need to get away from these practices and really reduce the barrier into the, met- into the marriage market. Uh, you, you mentioned these cultural things. Now, I want to ask you, what role really does culture play in preventing this marriage market yeah. from actually expanding? Because, I mean, you said that preventing people from getting married, having all of these barriers in the way, it really does create corruption in society because we can actually, you know, prove that because over 50% of marriages in, in the United States end up in, in divorce. That's because people are getting right. married for the wrong reasons. And now what role right. does culture play in that? And how can people who are affected by this, you know, overcome these cultural norms and cultural problems? Thank you for asking that really astute question. I think that is the question, really. How is culture playing into what we think marriage is about? So you mentioned this astonishing statistic, right, that nearly half, over half of our marriages in the United States, for example, fall apart because people are usually marrying for the wrong reasons. So a part of the American culture about marriage is that your spouse is your everything. Your spouse is your lover. They are someone that you talk to about work. They're someone that you share the most you know, intimate parts about you, but also the person that you want to laugh with and the person that will be fantastic to your family and the person that will raise the best kids and the person that will, you know, love the best, uh, you know, and most favorite music and movies, blah, 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 blah. So this is a cultural practice that is really ruining marriages. And we are propagating this through every television show and every dumb love song um, and every movie where the spouse is really considered your everything. You don't belong to each other. You belong to God, first and foremost. And the person that you're married to should not be fulfilling every single area of your life. You need to be fulfilling yourself. You need to be self-fulfilling self-actualize as your, you know, individual self and in your relationship with God and your relationship with your community and with your family and et cetera. So people who live um, lives that are really dictated by culture in every aspect, right, that culture is their lens rather than maybe morals or ethics being your lens, I think they really suffer in the marriage game. And so, you know, a really good example of a barrier um, to, the, uh, to the marriage market entry is the idea of a wedding, that the wedding has to be this huge sort of production um, and that the wedding has to have uh, the most ornate table settings and the most ridiculous stage. And you have to have the photographer that costs thousands of dollars (laughs) and the food has to be amazing. And, you know, the dress has to be three, four, five, six thousand dollars. This is a really 
awful barrier um, that we can't get past. And you know what? I'll tell you something. These kind of barriers, whether they be from American culture, from Desi culture, from Arab culture, um, you know, all all the different types of, you know, immigrant communities that bring their cultures into a marriage – you know, we really have to think about, you know, are we going to be accountable, held accountable before God for this kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm going to just have to say, you know, oppression. I think it's oppression. Absolutely. To tell absolutely. someone that they have to delay marriage until they're done with grad school, until they can buy a house, right, until they can throw the dream wedding uh, for, their, for their kid. I, I just think that that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think that more that we are putting that pressure, that cultural pressure on people, the more that we end up really in oppressive situations where people are actually doing haram, you know, they're entering into unfortunate addictions to pornography, um, unfortunate, uh, you know, forays into fornication, and into doing things that are wrong, because they cannot find marriage uh, accessible. They cannot find marriage easy and something that really is about fluidity and about learning how to change and be flexible with the person that you're with and maybe not meet every single cultural norm uh, that's present. This is what Yasmin Al-Hadi realized that often we blame society but we are society and so she made that change. She established YasGuru.com and you can join the newsletter and subscribe to them at YasGuru.com email, you can enter your email. YasGuru training includes interactive live workshops addressing how best to match oneself and prepare for marriage. Now Yasmin, moving from premarital, premarital jitters about all of these things to postmarital jitters. Um, you mentioned that the body itself, you know, and and, and the sexual um, desire between a male and a female. Um, oftentimes, because of the influx of these images out there, that the man or the or the female, because it happens both ways, they have this particular Absolutely. idea of the human body. The person that I need to be attracted to, for example, as a male, I need to be attracted to a female who is slender. She has certain height. She must be shorter than me. She must have certain type of hair. She must have certain size, body size. Uh, types and all of these things and uh, on the reverse side the female maybe the ideal man is someone with a six pack all of these different things but oftentimes all of these different things happens to the body and so what should the attitude be because oftentimes we see and and because of the influx and i and i can see i can see this in south africa and i know in america it's a problem brothels right these things happen because these men who are frustrated no longer with the are no longer with the wife and because of the influence of media they're showing this is the ideal women, they go to these places, and that is how corruption proliferates in society. What should the view of the body be? That's a good question as well. You're just full of good questions, Yassine. These are very smart questions. So, you know, let's talk about uh, what our teachers teach us, which is that our eyes, our ears, um, and our sexual organs, and, you know, the touch of our hands and what comes out of our mouth, those are all portals to our soul. Absolutely. Like, until we until we really get, you know, comfortable with that notion, which is the things that I touch, the things that I say, the things that I see, they will affect my heart and they will affect my soul. We will not get past uh, the very real addiction to pornography, the pornified society that we live in of pornographic images in our music videos, pornographic images on television, in our magazines. I mean, you just cannot. It's it's an onslaught. You know, you cannot control sometimes even that onslaught. So if we're not taking the time to clear our heart and to protect our senses, we are going to fall prey 
to what the ideal quote unquote body type is or what that perfect sexual experience looks like. Pornography is not real life. Right. The sexual experiences that people have in these videos, and by the way, there's going to be a Yazgoo video that's going to come out about this. Okay. It's going to be about sex education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the experiences that people have in these videos is so disconnected from any real emotion, from any real like, physicality aspects of, of the sexual experience. They're just, it's just not real life, right? And it's really hard to tell people that, like, that's just a movie. That's not real life. Um, and if you are exposing yourself to these things, the real harm that you're doing to your heart, the real harm that you're doing long term to your ability to be sexually gratified with your spouse is so real and so damaging. And so we have to understand the stakes are high. If we make the stakes low, if we think, oh, what's the big deal? I'll just watch a little bit of porn. What's the big deal? I'll just do a little. Don't, don't think that it's just going to be a little bit, right? We believe that the shaitan and, you know, the devil and the Satan and, and all of the things that are, you know, evil in this world that is a slippery slope. When it, you know, if we don't really contextualize that and understand that one thing will lead to another, will incrementally lead to another thing, then we won't be able to really try to protect ourselves. So I will say that, you know, when you're thinking about body type and when you think about what your relationship is to certain body types that you're attracted to, understand that your notions are going to be filtered through what you've seen. So you have to control what you see as much as you can, right? There's some things that you're going to be bombarded with, even Mm -hmm. in the aisle that are supermarket that you can't, you know, get past. It's okay to naturally like a woman or like a man with a certain skin type, um, you know, skin color. You're going to be maybe naturally attracted, but let yourself be open. Let yourself realize that there's a lot of beauty in this world and, and be the kind of person who has real conversations with people and figure out who do you emotionally connect with because that's going to be so much more important both in the physical sexual relationship but as well as in a long-term relationship success for you in a marriage because it's the emotional part of the sexual experience that really keeps you coming back for more, that really makes you want to be attached to the person that you're with. You know, in a lot of ways – there's a lot of really good books about this, um, and I would recommend so many books. There's a book called um, Mating in Captivity that talks about what happens to married couples um, and their sexual experiences within the marriage and what keeps things kind of interesting and going for a married couple because at some point, you know, the sexual experience kind of melts away, and that's really hard to tell, you know, someone who's young who's like, I want to be intimate. That's what I want, you know, and I'm going to be intimate three or four times a day, and it's going to be amazing. Like, it's very hard to sit that person down and be like, you are crazy. That's not real. You know, like, that's actually your brain, and that's okay because you're being flooded right now. And instead, try to control yourself and, you know, do the things that our prophet gave to us as ways to center ourselves. Meditative practice, fasting. You know, understanding, um, you know, your connection to a, a larger community, right? Being someone who's not selfish, who's not constantly thinking about what they want and what they desire, but instead thinking about what they can give and what they're going to give back. Those are all things to treat the heart, right? But this point that you're making, you see, about body image, about pornography, about brothels, about, you know, it is a slippery slope. It is the realest, most intense slippery slope that exists. And once we allow ourselves to go down that road, it will incrementally get worse. But there is help out there. That's what I want to tell people. There are addiction specialists that can help us rewire our brain, right, to rewire what gives us 
rewards. There are reward centers in the brain that are associated with certain activity. And we have to slowly wean ourselves off those things um, in order for us to find real happiness and gratification in our lives and especially in our sexual lives. Um, so, you know, look, look out for a video that's going to be talking about that. But, um, you know, I'll give more tips. But I think that, you know, you make such an important point. I think that the more you have real emotional connections to people and talk to people, the more you see beauty in the world in different forms. You know, I have men that come to me and say, a woman has to have a certain eyebrow shape, an eyebrow <laughs> shape, because, because it's found in pornography. Because it's the modern era to the time of the Prophet Muhammad when prostitutes had an eyebrow shape. Yeah. Be particular eyebrow shape. It's incredible that these things do not go away. You know, and I have women that say, oh, well, I want a man. He's got to have a certain kind of bicep. He's got to have a certain kind of chest. He's got to have a certain kind of height. He has to, you know, that height is the most important thing because, you know, I'm not attracted to men who are a shorter height. Have you talked to men who are your height? Have you, have you actually had an emotional connection with a tall man? Is that why you think tall men are attractive? Is it because it's, it's signaling something else to you, right? So, you know, we have to have some real honest conversations about the people that we really love in our lives and want to keep around. You know, oftentimes we look for novelty. Oh, I want someone who's like really sexy and different. Be wary of that. Yeah. Be very wary of that. That that face. Pornography destroys people. It destroys the people that are involved in the pornography making because it's a largely sex slave industry and unwilling partners, unwilling individuals are in these videos. It destroys people's hearts. It destroys their notion of reality. It dis it's distorting to their idea of what a sexual relationship is about and also destroys marriages because people then cannot be sexually gratified anymore by their spouse and they are constantly seeking a thrill that's trying to match the high that they get from the very staged and unrealistic you know sexual acts that are in pornography that are contained in pornography so i just want to underscore the importance of seeking help with addiction specialists psychologists licensed counselors that do work on how to rewire our ideas of what gives us rewards, of what gives us gratification, and to really address this issue either before we enter into a marriage or if we're already in a marriage and we're addicted, to really seek help and to go get help because it does exist out there and we should not be embarrassed to deal with our problems head on because they are really destroying our families. Mm -hmm. And that is what Yes Guru is all about, honesty, talking about these things. And that is what this show is also about, to get these issues affecting our youth to the forefront, to engage that because there is help out there and people are struggling with these things. Um, Yasmin, one of the things that I found really interesting also in, in one of your episodes on Yes Guru that people can find on YouTube, they can also find you on Facebook and Twitter, as well as yesguru.com. Uh, I found really interesting when you spoke about no means no. And... Either you compromise, you're being compromised. Now, many times, if you look at the Arab, uh, Arabic words for love, there are numerous words. You have the word hub, which comes from habban, which is a seed. And that's a beautiful thing that you have between two people, that you have a beautiful relationship based on mutual tolerance, respect, dignity, and that, and that, that builds a love between two people. But then you also have what is called a ishq, and ishq, 
literally is a, is a vine that strangles the life out of the person that that it possesses. So it's the vine that strangles the life out of the tree. And many times this this shawq, this ishq, you know, is a desire from one person to the next. And many times this is what teenagers and some people have going into marriage, unfortunately. But the main one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in the Quran, where he says that وَجَعَلْنَا بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً That he places be placed between you, you know, the the two, the, the, the male and the female, so that you may have felicity and, and tranquility, is a sacrificial type of love. It's a wood. Now, yeah. in terms of sacrifice, and you mentioned that many times you compromise and you compromise and you give and you give, but you never get in, get anything in return. What is the balance that we need to see? You know, in terms of sacrificial love, but giving and also getting, how do we strike that balance in a married couple? Yeah, the balance is really hard to strike. Uh, and it's something that, again, life experience will help with. The more life you've got, the more you understand, uh, for example, group projects, how much you give in a group project or how much you give in your family and what you're getting in return, the more you're going to understand the dynamics between a married couple that is a role model couple that you really should be role modeling after. Both parties have to be giving. Key, which is, kind of goes back to the first question you asked me when you're looking for somebody um, who has the right kind of characteristics, you know, someone mm-hmm. who's kind and forgiving and compassionate and giving, right, giving. The Prophet Muhammad life, for example, if we take the Prophet as our ideal, as our perfect human being, is service from beginning until the end of time. Absolutely. Until the end of time, the Prophet is constantly giving. And if you are with somebody who is not giving, then that person is not embodying the spirit of what you know, a true moral and a true ethic is in someone who has faith. And you really have to get yourself out of there. Uh, one-sided relationships always end in burnout. And you will feel completely consumed by the other person. You lose who you are in the other person. And it's so key that when you talk about ishq, for example, or the ashq, the person who has this intense longing, that if it's not for God, if it's not for, again, what is forever, if you don't have longing to be with forever, if you have longing to be with a human being, you will always be disappointed. Always be disappointed. And you will always maybe, you know, give in a way that is sort of blind to what you're getting back. So I want people to have some, uh, you know, kind of snap out of it, right? To like wake up. Because if you're in that hot and heavy part of love, sometimes you just want to give and give and give. And you think that this person just deserves everything and you put them up on a pedestal and they deserve all of your love. But you're not awake at all to what also they're giving in the relationship as well. And so we have to have that balance. I don't want people to just be a candle again that's just burning and burning for people around them because that really creates resentment and entitlement. What will happen is that you'll say, well, I've given this, this, and this, like I deserve this in return, right? And you get a sense of entitlement from that when instead you should both be giving to one another and there should be a trade-off. Okay, you give sometimes here, and then I give um, in other times. But you have to be with a partner who's generous. You have to be with a partner who's generous. And you have to strike that balance by understanding your self-respect is what is the most important thing that you don't lose. So when you give, if you're compromising your self-respect, that's too far. And if you're doing something that's against your religion, that is away from the, the, the penance of what God wants from you, that's too far. That's going too far. And we need to have really that strict boundary there. 
Now, the, I think one of the biggest questions that I can ask, um, expectations and communication. How do you communicate before you get married to someone? How should we communicate with them about expectations within marriage? The most important way to communicate about expectation is to give a realistic picture of who you are really holding as your ideal. Who, what's the marriage that you are chasing? What are, who are the people, and you know, if it's, if it's a celebrity couple, please get another couple. Stop chasing celebrity couples. I have someone say, um, the ideal marriage is Beyonce and Jay-Z. <laughs> no, no, that is not what we're talking about. You do not know what goes on inside of Jay-Z and Beyonce's home. Instead, think about the couples that you know and think about their trade-offs. Be honest about their trade-offs and ask some questions. So I would recommend for everybody, you know, if you, if you see a marriage that's kind of working, try to ask them, like, you know, how, you know, how do you determine how much you give in this situation? Or, you know, can you tell me a little bit about um, some of the things that you like to do for your spouse that you feel really makes them happy, etc.? That, in my opinion, gives you the most realistic notion of expectation. But communication is so important. But it has to happen in real time. So I tell people, you know, if you can't, if you're not maintaining eye contact with someone when you're talking about the expectation of a marriage, then it's a big waste of time. Absolutely. When you are communicating your expectation about marriage, you have to see that person in real time. It doesn't have to be maybe in person. That would be ideal. It can be in a video format. But you have to really look at that person in the eye and say, this is what's important to me, and this is what I expect. And the other person has to say, okay, I did that. You know, I understand that that's actually really important to you. Or the other person would say, well, wow, like, wow, I'm like seeing how serious you are about this. And like, we just don't align because that is not what my expectation of marriage is. Um, but I think if it's unrealistic in the sense that it's based on someone or people that you don't know, it's really problematic. I mean, the other question I want to ask you is how should you learn from your parents' marriage? Yeah. Parents' marriages are so key to the way that you use marriage. And sometimes they're very dysfunctional. And sometimes they're beautiful and very functional. Yeah. The key that you have to understand is that uh, the, I think the, the most important piece here is that in the worst times, you fall back on what's familiar. So if you have a set of parents that are abusive to one another, if you have a set of parents that are very unhealthy, they storm out, they don't ever say sorry, they don't ever address the issue, they don't show affection to one another, I mean, the list goes on and on, you will revert to that when you're under an intense amount of pressure and marriage will bring out the mirror. You will be self mirroring in a marriage and there is going to be intense pressure. There's not a matter of if it's just when there will be conflict and you're going to fall back on what you've seen that your parents perform. Some people say, no way I'm not going to do anything that my parents do. Okay, that's fine. They can make that commitment. But if you don't do really affirmative acts to counteract what you know as normal, you will fall into that pattern. Yeah, it's and subconscious, so is, isn't it? Yeah. Subconscious, absolutely. So the hope is that you get help if you know that you have a dysfunctional family that you come from and parents that really either hate each other or just tolerate each other. They're just cohabitating because we should want the best relationships. We shouldn't want just good enough, right? We should want the best relationship. But those, those require some self-care and really putting in the right amount of time with therapy and counseling.
And that is why marriage is an institution. Institutionalized as a yes. great recommended sunnah by the Prophet and in Islam. It's not meant to be end up in divorce. In fact, divorce is one, it is the most hated permissible thing in Islam. And thank you very much, uh, Yasmina. I'm sure the listeners are just amazed by this. And I just wanted to point out that also one of the most important aspects that we need to highlight is that there is no shame in our religion. There's modesty in our religion, but when, in terms of talking about these things, it's absolutely important. It's imperative because if we don't address this now, then people will continue living lives that and relationships that do not have meaning. Now, just in conclusion, um, can you just give the, our listeners a, a, a rundown about uh, your future uh, plans of Yaskuru and also with w- with regards to um, the workshops that you're going to do or any other ways that they can be, can get connected to you? My hope is that I'll be speaking at ISNA a convention um, in Chicago this year in July, um, inshallah. My hope is that I will continue to try to do tours, to do interactive workshops with people. Uh, the hope is that it will also turn into kind of an online-based system so that people can um, access it from anywhere in the world and they can kind of take a course with me from anywhere in the world to think about how is it that we really think about emotional intelligence, self-knowledge, how do we think about pairing with the right temperament, the right personality, and kind of more in-depth analysis of what compatibility really means. And so, uh, you know, look out for updates on the yazguru.com website, um, on my Twitter feed, as well as the Facebook page. Yeah, that is yasguru.com, Y-A-S-G-U-R-U.com. We're speaking to Yasmin Al-Hadi Nasri. So, I mean, Yasmin, that's the yes and the guru. It, I, I thought, you know, it's, it's weird to have guru in it, but in fact, that's your surname because Al-Hadi is the guide and you the love guide. And also, Hadi Thanks is the so gift. Much. So you give the gift of guidance in love. That's amazing. That, that make us, uh, you know, worthy of our names, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable calling myself as guru, but people call me guru. So I thought, you know, <laughs> well, maybe I should just uh, yeah. tell them we're the servant of the real guide. I mean, you know, uh, let us let us be the servant of the real guide and, and have the humility to to know when we cannot guide. Um, you know, I, I will say that this experience, I've realized that you know we can't help everybody, and we're not always right. You know, that's the truth, and people have to come to terms with what works for them. And I support people. Uh, when they take the time to self-reflect and figure out what works for them. And, you know, so, you know, for example, for some people, arranged marriage works beautifully, right? Their parents know them best. They feel that they will have the best kind of track uh, for for marriage success in an arranged marriage. You know, praise and blessings to you. That's not the way that I do things, but I am not uh, the kind of person that thinks that my path is the only path. Yasmin Al-Hadi Nalsiri. Yes, Kiru from the United States of America. Thank you very much for joining us and we hope to see you in South Africa. I'm sure after this conversation, many people would love to meet you and perhaps you can have a workshop in South Africa, inshallah. Inshallah, thank you, Yusin. It would be an honor and a pleasure to do that. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. I wish all the best. You know, um, I hope the Love Note series are helpful and I want everyone to stay lovely, my friend.